You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. John 14, we're going to pick up here in verse 12. So if you will stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word. I was out of the pulpit last week. I was not fed last week, so I am ready to go. All right. Notice this. John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Listen to this. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it? that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Let's pray. Lord, we want to claim these words, the words of the precious Son of God, Jesus Christ. We want to claim these words as children of God, and we want to be the people of God that you've called us to be. Lord, you do great work in this world. Let us join with you in that work, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. This morning, as some deacons gathered with me to pray, we we were praying, and the Lord put on my mind that old, old hymn, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. The love of Jesus is what drives everything we do, brothers and sisters. He is the gold standard of love. His love will push you further than your limits, your perceived limits, your self-imposed limits. God's love will push you beyond that. When we start talking about caring for the most vulnerable in the world, orphans and widows, I'm going to tell you right now, you need more power than you have just inside of you. More power than just uh, yours in the, in the physical sense. You need the Holy Spirit. Because when we start pushing into Satan's territory, because he loves to steal, kill, and destroy, he loves to oppress the vulnerable. When we push into his territory, he pushes back. And the only way we'll stay strong is if we are filling ourselves 
with the love of God. You see, Jesus loves you. And as I said earlier, let not your hearts be troubled. Know this, he does not want you to remain spiritually orphaned. He wants you to know that he is your father, your heavenly father. And he sent his son, God did, sent his son to die on the cross so that you would not be spiritually alone. Whatever happens in this world, know this, you are never alone if you have the heavenly father. You have Christ, your brother, and you have the Holy Spirit within you, and you are not orphaned. But it's interesting that this is the language that is used of being orphaned. Because when we think about that in a spiritual sense, it immediately brings to mind the physical realities that we see around us, that there are children out there that remain as orphans. And so as our Lord prayed, we want to make things on earth as they are in heaven. Just as in a spiritual sense, you're no longer an orphan. We need to have a drive within us to make sure that there are no orphans in the world because that's how Jesus works. But we need that strength from above. We need help from Jesus. And yes, we church will feel inadequate with such a task as this before us. I begin to think just, I think it was yesterday, I, the Lord brought William Carey to my mind. And I just looked up a couple of quotes of his and I figured out why the Lord had him on my mind. Here's what Carey said before he went off and started the modern mission movement. He says, I'm not afraid of failure. He said, I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. And the Lord Got a hold of me right there because the church can be involved in a lot of things that look good, sound good, and build up our name. But do they matter to God? And what the Lord is calling us to do is not a small thing, not an easy thing. He has called us, Ridgecrest, to do the hardest of hard things, which is to love the unlovable, to reach out to the most vulnerable, and to give our best for those who are the least of these. Are you ready? Because with that will come incredible pressure. I've always said that. I'm going to tell you. I don't have to talk about it as a hypothetical. I feel it. The weight of this burden is on my chest. It's weighing me down because I know the burden is great. The good thing is I am not alone. We are together in this. The vision that God gave us for orphans goes back six years, as Shayla told us. I'm so thankful for God having laid this burden on Pastor Chad's heart. I am thankful for that vision. And we're going to build on that vision because that vision was from God. That is a vision from God that we can see uh, unfolding before our eyes. And the, the, the best is yet to come. We are just at the beginning. Oh, let not your hearts be troubled. We believe in God here. We believe also in Christ we need to know that our eternal home is secure. He has given us heaven. Look at verses two through six. It tells us about rooms and glory. I, I like to say, I really like the King James Version a little better here. The Greek isn't really good, but the image is. Mansions in glory, right? When you start getting fearful, when fear starts entering in, when doubts start entering in, remember, Jesus has already taken care of the hard business, and that is saving your soul. If he can save your soul, Christian, then he can empower you to do the work of ministry today. God is able. We have work to do. 
And we have Jesus telling us in this passage that he will be with us. In verses 12 through 24, these are some of the most encouraging words of Scripture and some of the most encouraging words Jesus ever spoke. And that's saying something because he was a man of love and encouragement. And what we're seeing here is, is that no matter how big the task may seem, our God is bigger. Amen? We have a big God. And as a child of God, we believe, as children of God here at Ridgecrest, we believe the place to start changing the world is to care for the most vulnerable among us, orphans and widows. And this is religion that is pure and undefiled before God. James 1.27. I believe that Jesus going to the cross shows us how serious he is about making sure that we are not spiritual orphans. And now it is our opportunity to show God how serious we are to make sure that there are no physical orphans in the world. When Christ came into your heart, he called you to do something big. He wants to do something great. He set up a a house, a home in your heart. And now we need to begin to think about how we, ourselves, our homes can make a difference for the kingdom of God. No easy task. But I think Jesus will inspire us today to do just that. Let us begin with this thought. Nothing is impossible for a child of God. I've already said it, but if, if, if you think that you've got enough strength in you to do this kind of work, you are wrong. The kind of work that God wants you to do is beyond you. It's, it's true, I think, that if you're able to manage the ministry that's in your life, you're probably not doing what God wants you to do. If you're able to just plan it out and like, oh, no stress at all. I don't know what this deal is with ministry being stressful because I just do it all. You ain't doing much. Because when you're doing what God wants you to, you wake up every day and you pray, not because you're faithful, but because you're desperate. I'm going to tell you, most of my prayers are desperation. God, I need some wisdom. I need strength. I need help. That's where God begins to work when we realize how much we need him. If the vision is from God, the work will be beyond you, above you. It will stretch you and force you to dig deep into your faith. And let me say, many people claim to believe in Jesus, but don't seem to make much of a difference in the world. Oh, may that not be said of you. That you profess Jesus, but you're not making a difference in the world. Those with deep trust in Jesus have access to the unlimited power of God. And this is where, I think this is where the Lord was taking me originally. The quote of William Carey that's so helpful here, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. I believe that's what God is calling us to do, something great. We expect that he will do something magnificent. He already is. I'm not here to brag about what's happened in the past because that was just the beginning. But when there was a great need in Poland, in Ukraine, this church stood up and stood in the gap. And in ways that only in eternity will we fully appreciate, God was able to work through Ridgecrest to bring comfort not only to an orphanage and their orphans, but to hundreds of refugees fleeing Ukraine. Do you realize that that was something God-sized? It was something that we did by faith, and God blessed it. But that is not going to be the highlight, the hallmark, the zenith. No, that's the beginning. Where we begin as a church to ask God to help us do impossible things from southwest Missouri 
from the town of Springfield, Missouri, we can do great things for God. And I believe that God expects that from us. One of the reasons why we're not living up to our full potential as individual Christians and as churches today is that I think that we try to think our way through life instead of trusting in Jesus. Let me tell you, this is one of the big problems I see in the church today. We have people who are, are, are willing to use their minds for the Lord, but they think if they can't figure it out, it can't be done. We have to believe, yes, we use our minds. Yes, we use logic and reason. I have been an advocate of logic and reason in Baptist life now for many years. I've been losing that battle for many years, but I've been advocating for it. There's nothing wrong with a Baptist who has a mind, but many times it seems like, uh, you know, that, that's, oh, we don't need that. Yeah, we do. We need to know the Word of God better than the Presbyterians. If you're a Presbyterian, that's fine. I love you. I, I, my doctorate's from a Presbyterian school. Good folks. But Baptists need to know the Bible better. We have no excuse. We have the word. We have the tools. We want to know the word. But let me tell you, it's not enough to know things. We have to believe in things. We know what the Bible has told us. Our souls are secure in Jesus. But we can do impossible things in the power of Jesus. No excuses for not doing that. The people of God must have plans that come from the heart of God. Look at verses 12 through 14, and I want you to see that Jesus is preparing the church for the post-Easter season. He has not yet gone to the cross. He has not yet been uh, raised up from the grave. But what he says is interesting. He says in verse 12 that his disciples will do greater works. And most people look at that and say, how is that possible? Well, it's possible because Jesus' ministry was only for a handful of years, three years maximum. And he knew that his disciples, if they were called out and filled with the Spirit, they would see many more conversions. So think about it. In Jesus' lifetime, he may have had a thousand or so converts, a thousand or so people who believed his message. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the apostles, really the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles... God turned the world upside down. Thousands, then tens of thousands, then millions, and eventually billions of people have come to know Jesus because the Holy Spirit is at work. He is operative. And that's not saying he was operative. He is operative. He is working. The vision of Christ, the power of the, uh, the kingdom of God spread like wildfire, and I believe it's about to spread like wildfire again. The world is in need of a revival. We need to see the book of Acts unfold before our eyes in this generation. Amen? I'm tired of losing generations to the secular world. I'm tired of losing people that I love to a world that is just going to use and abuse them. We want to win the world to Jesus. Amen? Because he is better. This is no small task. This is no little thing. But this is the God thing that God is calling us to do. I want you to see here in verses 13 and 14. Notice, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I don't know what you do with these words, but look at them. Whatever, anything. These are big words. The Son of God is empowering us, church, to do something special. 
And if you in your Christian walk are not doing anything special, that's on you, not on God. Because he has invited you, invited you to his power. Now, I want to push pause for a moment. Notice there is a qualification. It's not anything in terms of what you want. It's everything in terms of what God wants. It has to glorify the Son. It has to be glorified in the Son. Look at that in the passage. That's important. This is no name it and claim it, prosperity gospel nonsense, I'm telling you. But if you are filled with Jesus and Jesus gives you the vision, he will give you the power to finish it. Nothing can stop you when you are filled with the Spirit of God. I want you to think of it this way. We must first discern the big dream that God has for us. That could be individually, it can be corporately. And we can't allow the chaos of the fallen world to distract us because even when we hear what God wants us to do, the enemy is still whispering poison thoughts into our ears. He will constantly tell you that it can't be done and you have to constantly go to passages like this and remember who you are in Christ. You need to take the leap of faith this morning, brother, sister. If you've been holding back, if you've been making excuses, you need to take verses 12, 13, and 14 and put it in the bank. It's real. It's for you. If you seriously want to glorify God and you want to worship Jesus with all your heart, let's do it now. Let me show you a couple things in this promise. First, it is a promise given to whoever believes. So notice this. Any child of God... Any child of God can claim this. Second, it is a promise of power greater than Jesus exercised in his earthly ministry. Get that in your head, Baptist. God still works miracles. Third, it is a promise that encompasses whatever you ask and anything in Jesus' name. Keep it Jesus-centric and it will be successful. Oh, brothers and sisters, I can think of Few leaps of faith larger than bringing a vulnerable child into your home. I don't believe that, that, that orphan and widow care is the only ministry the church is called to do. But here's the deal. If you'll do that, nothing can stop you. If you have the spiritual strength to have orphans and widows in your home, then you have the spiritual strength to do all things. And it may not be the call on your life, so don't let me put a monkey on your back. That's not what I'm trying to do. This has to be a call from God. But the reason I'm saying this is because so many of us assume that we are not strong enough, we don't have the resources, we don't have the wisdom to do this. That's the enemy talking. That's fear taking control. That's not you listening to Jesus. He is telling us to do something big as a church, as individual families. Stop thinking in terms of what can't be done and start asking the question, Lord, what are you telling me must be done? Don't lecture God. Listen to him. School just started up for many uh, kids a couple months ago. Imagine the first day of class, whether it's in high school or college. Imagine going and sitting there in the room with this distinguished professor or teacher in front of you, and instead of listening to him from the first moment that he enters in, you say, okay, teacher, you're going to listen to me. You're a freshman. You're brand new in college. You don't know a thing, but you start lecturing the professor. Sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? Just think about what you do when you talk to God. 
When you start telling God what can't happen or what you think, that's not the way it works. You start by asking God to tell you what he thinks. You let the word inform you about who he is and don't lecture God, but learn to listen to him. That's what the church is going to have to start doing, listening to God. And then we remember that a child of God has the Holy Spirit as a helper. Now, I want you to notice a couple things in verses 15, 16, and 17. First, you'll notice that there is a clear connection in these verses between faith and obedience. Faith and obedience are always paired together in Scripture. We see these incredible promises made by Jesus to his people in verses 12 through 14 are predicated on us loving Jesus and keeping his commandments. Look at verse 15. That's the way it works. In other words, if you are serious about being in the bullseye of God's will for your life, then you must be obedient to his word. Those things go together. Help always will come to the holy ones of God. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. That's what we see in 1 John. That's a beautiful reminder that if we truly love God, we keep his commandments. Oh, friends, if God has called you to either care for orphans or do some great deed in ministry, let me just say this to you. Don't get away from the basics. Don't get away from prayer time. Don't get away from Bible time. Don't get away from worship. If God has a big plan for you, it'll be built on little faithfulness, on the little acts of faithfulness. And what happens many times is God gives us this amazing vision and we pour everything into the vision and we forget the basics. We start making the ministry more important than worship. We start making the ministry more important than time alone with the Lord in prayer and the word. No, no, no. You have to keep the basics if you want the big blessing. It's interesting, verse 15, let's hear it again. Notice, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now you see the word, keep my commandments, that's obviously a present tense idea, that you're continuing it. But what you don't see in the grammar here is that the word love is also a present tense verb. It is telling us that we need to have a steady stream of love. It's not that we just love Jesus in the moment, But what the scriptures are telling us here is that we have to have a steady stream of love. I want to ask you right now, how is that working for you? Is there steady obedience and steady love? The Holy Spirit gives us the help we need to do the hard things we are called to do. And I want to just say to you, if it is true that the Spirit of God is beside you, what can stand against you? Look, a child of God has the Holy Spirit as a helper. Look at verse 16. It says, forever. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Not just for a little while, but forever. This helper, verse 17, is the spirit of truth. In other words, God is never going to tell you to do something outside the scope of the truth of the word of God. Your calling is always in direct connection to the spirit of truth. Why do we need to stay in the word? Well, it's because the word is the only corrector and anchor. It's the only thing that keeps us in the margins, in the right lane. It keeps us from straying off the path. 
If God has something for you, if the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, if he is in your heart, the way, the truth, the life, those things are connected. They are together. You are moving in the direction that God wants you to go. Look at verse 16. It speaks of another helper. So important here, another. The word there, another, is Allah in in Greek, which is not Allah, like the the Arabic, but A-L-L-A. It's a connecting word, but what it means is this. It means another of the same kind. How often have we meditated on Christ? And if you're a believer and say, well, I, I think I could maybe be a little stronger if I had just been like those disciples and maybe got to walk with Jesus a little bit. Jesus is saying, let me tell you what you have. You have something better. You don't have just a few years worth of presence, but every second after you become a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus, is right there with you. He has never left you, but you've walked away from him a few times. He has felt distance. No fault of his, the fault is yours. You have the help you need to achieve the dream God has for your life. He is in your heart. Let that be known. Don't forget it and make sure that that's what drives you. So that brings us to our final point here. What will we do to make sure that we are faithful to the calling on our lives? And in particular, what are we going to do, church, to make sure that we are caring for orphans and there are no orphans left in the world? I want us to finish by looking at verses 18 through 24 and seeing how we must be at home with the Trinity, how a child of God is an orphan no more. The definition of an orphan, according to one New Testament scholar, he says this. He says, it is one bereft of their natural supporter. And to put things in context, Jesus is telling his disciples in John 13 that he's about to go away. In fact, this whole whole passage that we've read today is really predicated on John 13 and the language of him leaving. Those disciples knew that something bad was coming. They couldn't fathom how bad it was going to be, but they knew something bad was coming. And Jesus was preparing them and their hearts for that season of grief. He's talking about going away, which is another way to think of orphans. So spiritually speaking, the disciples, the men who first heard John 14, were men who were about to be orphaned. They were about to become spiritual orphans. The man that they believed was the Messiah was being mocked, was about to be mocked and beaten and nailed to a Roman cross, the most egregious form of death, not only in the Roman context, but in the Jewish context. Cursed is anyone who hangs upon a tree, the law said. This was the most unthinkable thing that could happen to Jesus, and yet it happened. Jesus said to them in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's telling people who are hurting, whose hearts are broken, that they will not be alone. Now, as we bring this into the, into the idea of adoption, adoption brings children from a state of loneliness into a state of community. This is what Jesus wants to do for all of us in a spiritual sense. 
This is the model, the spiritual model for what we do physically in this world. The very act of salvation is a model of sorts for the ministry of caring for the vulnerable. Jesus knows how weak we are, how desperately we need the presence of God in our lives. We do not thrive alone. We thrive best in community, in family. God understood that spiritually, thus he sent Jesus, and thus Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so that you can have that fellowship, that family, the family feeling of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also the family feeling of the congregation. Do you realize that when you bring an orphan into your home in a very uh, um, lighter way, not, it's nowhere near as profound because we're talking about Jesus here. What he did for us is the most profound thing. But when we care for an orphan, in a way, we are uh, just a shadow at least of what Jesus is. We're showing love in this way. I love this. Jesus says he will come to us. Verse 19 speaks of resurrection life. It speaks in verses 22 through 23 that he will make his home with us. All of these words are words that make sense in the context of adopting. We see intimacy here that we can have with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, family. As a child of God, we can have fellowship with God. And I just want you to know that every single child out there that right now is lonely, And I know that there are many in the world that do not have the warmth of a family. And that's not okay. And the church cannot rest as long as we know that there are hurting children. There's always more work to do. There's more work than we can do in our lifetime. But that's no excuse. We have to give our lives to Jesus. We give our lives to Jesus when we're saved. But we give our lives to Jesus so that he can use us in a mighty way. Amen? We believe this. We believe that God wants to work, that he will manifest himself in us and move through us. I want to ask you, do you have Jesus in your heart? Because that's the first step today. The only way that you can be filled with the love of God is to have Jesus in your heart. So the first step this morning for you is please receive Jesus. He died for your sins. Do you feel alone spiritually? Do you feel the darkness creeping in? Does it seem like some days you're just living in that fog? The only way that cloud, that fog can go away is the light of Christ. Receive him today and know that you have your room, your mansion in glory. But if you are here today, if God is at home with you, the question I have for you is, what is he leading you to do with your home? Let me say that again. If God is in your heart, at home with you, what is he leading you to do with your home? Let me give you just a couple things to think about, maybe some things to commit to. What should you do with your home? First and foremost, make your house a house of worship. Be more intentional at home about building up faith, prayer, in the word, worship, at the family altar. We need to make sure our homes are places where God is magnified. Secondly, you need to ask yourself if God is calling you to open your home to children, whether through adoption or fostering. That's a big deal. 
That's not something small. But you need to ask the question. Don't be afraid to ask the question. Don't tell God. Don't lecture him why it can't be done. Ask him to show you before you tell him what to do. Just ask. Third, many more of you in this room need to commit to support directly those families that are in the adoption battle. And it is a battle. It's a war. It's a spiritual war. Be there for them. Come alongside them. I've often felt like that at least 10 church families need to come around every one adoptive or fostering family. We need a lot of you to get serious about this. And of course, giving to our Defenders Fund and all those things help that. And the final thing I say, I just want to be careful here. I've been accused, uh, and I've accused myself of thinking out loud. I want to be careful here, but I believe that if I'm asking you what you can do to open your home, and I'm thinking of that myself, what that looks like for my family, I think as your pastor, I want to ask that question for us as the family of God. What do we need to do corporately, all of us together? We have the Defender's Care idea, but Shayla and I believe that God has some big plans for us in the future. We do not have the specifics, but here's the deal. When God gives us the vision, church, let's get on board. Let's do that. Let's believe that the Holy Spirit can work through us to make a difference like never before in the lives of the most vulnerable. Amen? We're about to be debt-free very, very soon. And I believe that there's something next. I don't know what the next is yet. I need a lot of time in prayer on my knees. But I believe that God has something big for us. And I'm asking you to pray in that direction. But also, when we see it, let's go for broke, baby. Let's give everything. Let's be, let's be committed. Let's be the kind of church that goes after the very ones that so many people walk right on by, drive right on by. We will not leave the vulnerable exposed. We will not miss the opportunity, the moment to be the kingdom church we're called to be. Amen? Amen. It's time for us to get to work praying, seeking God. We are children of God. The orphans out there, the widows out there are the children of God. What are we going to do to make a difference? What are you going to do in this invitation? Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.